0: Man, I don't know if I'm pulling the trigger because right now we're just talking financial crimes versus like (laughs) shooting someone.
1: (laughs) I had a much more practical concern, Mm -hmm. which is you're in a law office and shooting somebody in the leg seems really
0: messy. Welcome to Lawyers Behaving Badly. I am Jennifer Judge.
1: I'm Karen Delaney. How are you, friend? You're coming live to us from a hotel room.
0: I am a very, very nondescript hotel room in San Antonio, Texas. I'm here for work. And I was so on top of everything. I packed my microphone, I packed the microphone stand, I packed my headphones, I packed the cord. And then I got here and literally a minute before we were supposed to start, I realized the cord didn't actually plug into my laptop because it's USB (laughs) and not USB-C. So I'm coming to you from my AirPods. So apologies in advance for any sound. But I was like, 99.9% 99.9% of the way there and I was really proud of myself.
1: <laughs> there was an attempt and was it was an a attempt. great one.
0: Mm-hmm. A plus and you actually sound pretty good I think for See? being on AirPods. Fingers crossed that it stays that way but otherwise I'm good. I flew down to San Antonio for work. I'm here through Wednesday and then I come home Wednesday night and then my husband goes to Phoenix the beginning of next week and then I go to Houston for our CLE that we're talking at our conference we're talking at next week oh that's and, right wait is that next yep. week is it next week I think it is <laughs> what's today's we date should... the 16th maybe it's in two weeks I don't I think even it's know. in two they weeks they all run together we... oh I don't know
1: we should I double check week. our calendars I have a free week
0: <laughs> look <laughs> we... that's the joy on my face is that I'm not traveling next week so hey things are looking up <laughs>
1: <So>. yeah <laughs> But let's nail that down so we make sure that we actually are yes. where we are when we're supposed to be there.
0: <laughs> if you're listening, we promise we'll be where we're supposed to be when we're supposed to be there.
1: Yeah, we're really just bolstering our professional reputations here.
0: Like, you can advertise us for your CLE, but will we be there? I don't know. <laughs> What's a little bit of worry and, you know, some some thrill? Maybe we'll be there. Maybe we won't. No,
1: it's, it's, uh, it's part of the excitement. It's part of the excitement.
0: But it's been that basically sums up my life recently. It's been a lot of travel, a lot of just personal things going on in my life right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm like holding on by the skin of my teeth to everything in life. Um, It's just one of those periods where I'm dropping a lot of balls and we're just going to roll with it. Um, How are you doing?
1: Yeah, I mean, whatever. You got to crack a few eggs, make omelets. It'll be fine. And you do have a lot. A lot, a lot going on right now. I feel like we haven't talked in forever because we really haven't. We've been Mm-mm. texting back and forth, but both of us have been in various places. And as you know, we went up to Minneapolis for the long yes. weekend. As somebody who has just roasted in the depths of hell in Texas <laughs> since like March, we stepped off the plane and it was like in the low 50s and pouring down rain. And it was amazing. It sounds so nice. It- <laughs> It was glorious. It was Mm -hmm. absolutely fantastic. And then the rest of the time we were there, it was cold-ish. I mean, any Minnesotans would laugh at me because for them, it's perfectly balmy and wonderful weather. For us, we're like, ooh,
0: low 60s, (laughs) high
1: 50s, so chilly, break out the winter gear. It was just absolutely fantastic because we were able to get outside and it is so gorgeous up there. I took my four-year-old, well, oh, now five five five-year-old I don't have a four-year-old anymore I have a five-year-old yeah the youngest person in my house is now five which I am in denial about it's crazy but I took him quote-unquote hiking which was really just us walking on a completely flat nature trail Mm -hmm. but he did a camping unit in his preschool class before he moved up to pre-k and he has been obsessed ever since then with the idea of camping with the idea of hiking The only thing he asked for for his birthday was a lantern.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's adorable.
1: So I got him a little Coleman kids lantern that's just like a little clicky, like it's battery operated, Mm -hmm. whatever. And he packed it in his suitcase to bring to Minnesota. (laughs) And I was like, buddy, why are you bringing this? And he's like, well, because we're going hiking in the woods and it might be dark. (laughs) And then he forgot when we were doing our little nature walk, he had forgotten to bring his lantern with him. But, you know, all was well. It was in the middle Mm -hmm. of the day and fully sunny or whatever. But he we just had the best time. And my husband and older kid uh, just like threw the ball and played catch while we went off on our little nature hike. And it was just so absolutely wonderful to be able to be outside in a place that is really pretty to begin with and to Mm -hmm. be able to enjoy it because you're not about to die of a heat stroke. And then as you know, while we were there, we also went to Nickelodeon universe, which is Mm -hmm. like a theme park that's inside Mall of the Americas. And I'm sure local people in Minnesota or Minneapolis probably try to avoid that as much as possible. But we're tourists, we don't give a fuck. So we went,
0: (laughs) you're tourists with young kids. That's what that's the kind of stuff you go to.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we got off the plane. We went straight there after lunch. And They have a ride that's kind of like, I guess it would be like Splash Mountain or something. It's one of those log rides that goes down Mm -hmm. a really steep thing and into a bunch of water and you splash it. And we all did it together. And of course, they take a picture of you, which you have seen.
0: (laughs) It might be my favorite picture of your family I've ever seen.
1: (laughs) It's amazing. And it perfectly encapsulates everything about our family because I'm at the back and I'm screaming.
0: Yes, yes. Like, holding on for dear life, screaming.
1: <laughs> I'm just... My eyes are closed and I'm screaming. Mm-hmm. My oldest is sitting in front of me. And he's, like, half screaming, but also, like, half clearly having a good time. My husband's in front of him. He's kind of, like, yelling, like, woo! Like, obviously having a good time. Not mm-hmm. not screaming, like me, in the back. And then my youngest is sitting in the front. And he's just, like he's smiling and you wouldn't know the difference. Like, is he watching his iPad or is he going down (laughs) this like waterfall? He's (laughs) the chillest ever. And I was like, I don't think I've ever seen a picture that more perfectly encapsulates who we are as a family. It's just amazing. So great time was had by all. And then since then we are deep in baseball in every way. My oldest Mm -hmm. is absolutely obsessed right now. So he's playing on a club team and yesterday they went scouting some of the other teams that they're gonna be playing against in the spring to like watch them play because my oldest didn't have a game yesterday he just had batting practice and so afterwards they went to watch them and then he got to stay up very late last night to watch the rangers
0: beat houston Mm
1: -hmm. and we are recording at I mean, it was probably 3.30 when we started or whatever, but yeah. he's getting picked up early from
0: aftercare today. Oh, yeah, today. it's starting like now, I think, right? <laughs>
1: early, yeah. So, mm-hmm. and of course, my office is right by the garage, so no promises about whether we're going to hear a bunch of banging yes. when, we, when they come in the door, but it is all baseball all the time, and it's really cool to see your kids develop these interests and mm-hmm. hobbies. I mean, it's just, it's so neat that he's like so into baseball. And he woke me up last night to tell me that the Astros didn't get a single run in and the Rangers (laughs) shut them out. And it was, I mean, it was adorable.
0: It's so cute. Um, You know, my oldest is absolutely obsessed with the Kansas City Chiefs because he's obsessed with Patrick Mahomes. And so similar things like on any given day, he's wearing some sort of Chiefs attire. He bought the Patrick Mahomes Adidas shoes um, that Patrick came out with he saved mm-hmm. his money to buy himself a pair of those. He has a Kansas City Chiefs rug in his room that and is so he gets cute. to stay up late on, you know, whenever they play on like Thursday nights or Monday nights or Sunday nights, we let him stay up late and watch it too. Yeah. And he wants to critique every single play with us. And I mean, he is like <laughs> in the game watching. Yeah. And it's so funny because, you know, my husband and I will be like multitasking or working while we'll our laptop's out with us. And he's like, Did you see that? He blah, blah, blah. And he'll go off on it. And we're like, Mm hmm. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, we saw it. Totally. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Amazing. But he is. is- thousand percent in. he loves it so much he plays flag football and he loves it the other people on his team don't love it or try quite as hard as he does so it's a little bit of a source of frustration right now Mm -hmm. um they have been um, mercy ruled i think almost every game so far so Uh They're trying real hard. They're trying real hard, but they're not good. Um, so <laughs> it's a character building experience for him this year.
1: <laughs> no, but truly, sometimes you are just like, you, sometimes your team just sucks. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, sometimes you just you get about beat it.
0: a lot. Yep. And we, there was this team they played on Saturday night. um, is one that they played earlier in the season. And my husband and I were chatting beforehand and we we're like, is that the team that mercy ruled them right after the start of the second half? And we were, I was like, I don't know, I don't, they're familiar, but I don't remember. And then we watched them warm up and like watching them complete passes. We were both like, oh yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's <laughs> the one. And again, they were mercy ruled like right after the start of the second half. So we are like, the good news is we're done by 8.30 tonight. So right. <laughs> we get to go right. home early.
1: We um, all get to go home. Isn't that wonderful? Exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: So, but yeah, he's equally obsessed. And it's it's just, like you said, it's really cool to watch your kids come into their own personalities and their own yeah. likes and things they're interested in. My youngest is currently obsessed with Greek mythology. And so he'll like go find YouTube videos all about Greek mythology and watch those and wants to chat about it, read about it. We bought him that Dallaire's Book of Greek Myths. Mm -hmm. And so that like everyone gets as a kid. So he's just read through that. Um, He's going to be a Spartan soldier for Halloween. Um, So it's just really cool. And you want to like, You want to nurture that when they're so interested in something, just Mm -hmm. as a parent, to kind of give them that joy and really bring them into being so interested in something.
1: Well, and just to feed it, too. And I will tell you the one benefit about uh, my guy being so interested in baseball, he had been doing baseball and uh, soccer. Mm -hmm. And we dropped soccer in the fall because he was, I mean, he just wasn't super interested in it and he didn't really care if he kept playing. And we've got, I mean, we've got two kids who are both in sports and as you know, that's a lot of weeknight practices. Mm -hmm. It's on Saturday. It's everybody's got to be somewhere else at a different time. And we've done the thing. We did the thing last spring and I think even maybe last fall where he was doing soccer and baseball and my youngest was doing soccer And that's, that's a lot to manage. And so when he indicated that he was totally cool letting soccer go, we were like, great. Bye. Bye. And the best thing is,
0: (laughs) don't have to tell me twice.
1: (laughs) This may change. I don't need a lot of baseball parents telling me that my life is going to be miserable in the future. Mm -hmm. But at least right now, our baseball games, because he's playing on a 7U team, although he's He's on a 7U team, but they're playing other 8U teams because Mm -hmm. there were not enough players just to do 7U games. At least for right now, these games start at a much more civilized time than soccer Mm -hmm. does. And if there's one thing I don't miss, it's sitting out on those soccer fields, which are not irrigated. So it's basically just dead grass and dirt. And it's Mm -hmm. either blazing hot or it's completely freezing ass cold at eight o'clock in the morning that's watching these kids bounce a soccer ball around no mm-hmm. do not miss it at all and i say this if he wants to go back to soccer we will make it work that's fine but it, as for right now i was sitting there watching my youngest t-ball game at like i think 10 o'clock on i think it was 10 o'clock it was 10 o'clock on saturday morning And we have a really nice baseball diamond with like Mm covered stands and stuff. But it was nice and sunny where I was sitting 50 degrees, beautiful day out. And I was like, God, soccer's for the birds. And I played soccer for the (laughs) longest time growing up. She's like, this is so much better.
0: (laughs) That's for a while. My kids were obsessed with rock climbing and they really wanted to like, they did rock climbing camp and they did, you know, like summit gyms and they were doing that. So they were doing like weekly rock climbing practices yeah, but the practices were you know thirty minutes away from my house in traffic, and they started at four thirty on Wednesdays. And so oh. yeah, exactly. And so when they finally the summer were like, yeah, we can take a pause on those. I was like, good, great. And so we like yeah. paused it for three months, and then they never mentioned it again. So I just canceled it, and yeah, they, so they still like, haven't mentioned mention it. But it. I was yeah. like, we are not like making the four thirty work was an act of God every week. And it's very nice to not have that stress in my life again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see that. So this is what happens when you and I haven't talked in a long time. It's already minute 14. (laughs) (laughs) But it's been lovely to catch up with you and everybody else can just hit the fast forward button. Mm -hmm. It's fine.
0: Well, I have wanted to talk um, about for my hot topic, I don't have anything specific prepared, but I did. We have both kind of been following the FTX trial and the trial for SBF, and it has been the pieces that I've seen online, the pieces I've read, it's just been, I mean, there's no shocking things in there. It's everything that we suspected. Um, The most interesting thing, though, I think was watching Caroline Ellison's testimony and the things she discussed. Um, For those who haven't been following it as closely as we have, basically everyone in the executive leadership group other than SBF has taken a plea and so they've all essentially turned state's evidence against him and all of their testimony was part of these plea deals that they made um and so they are singing um uh, like canaries against sbf
1: let's talk about what a bad bitch carolyn ellison is because yes i'm sorry i can't help it i fucking love her because she's a, she's amazing she's <laughs> Number one, I saw I saw this portrait that the court artist had made of yes. her where she <laughs> looks like she's been melted in the microwave.
0: <laughs> she Just looks like, like if Salvador Dali's painting of like the clocks melting, if someone <laughs> made her face out of that, that is what she looks like.
1: <laughs> I was like, my sole goal in life at this point is to avoid anybody doing a piece of quote unquote art with me where I look like somebody left me in the microwave for 30 seconds too long. But she also was, what was she? Was she CEO of Alameda? I mean, I know she was like- She was CEO of Alameda. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. She's Mm -hmm. part of the core like group. Also, the reason I love her is because she, I don't know if she was the ringleader of the Polycule. We don't have a lot of details about that, which- if anybody is joining us late and hasn't listened to episode one of "Lawyers Behaving Badly,"
0: what are you doing? And you don't like- know <laughs> what
1: a polycule is? Allow us to educate you. It's yes. where multiple people who are polyamorous have polyamorous relationships with each other. Mm-hmm. It's kind of unclear, but it. From little tidbits I've read here and there, it sounds kind of like she may have been at the center of the polycule. I don't know if it's more accurately like a male harem. And then as soon as it was convenient to save her own ass from criminal charges, she's like, bitch, bye. Like, what do you need me to testify to? Do not give a fuck. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think that is so funny. And I'm sorry, but I need, like,
0: the Netflix biopic immediately. Immediately. I, yeah, I want to learn everything about her. I want to watch the biopic about her. Um, My favorite story about her is after, I can't remember which day it was, but after her testimony, she left the courthouse and then got in the wrong car waiting out in front of the courthouse. And so there's all these pictures of her looking, like, so confused and shocked in this, like, you know, media maelstrom around her, but it's like, she's so fantastic. I love everything about her. Bad things. I mean, yeah,
1: yeah, let's, (laughs) let's be clear. She's an
0: awful, terrible person who did awful, terrible shit, but it's all very hilarious to me. So yeah, me, the bystander, but she, her testimony was funny in that she talked about, you know, SBF, Sam Bankman freed would prepare like seven fake banks, you know, profit and loss statements um, for these companies. And, you know, when you watch it, and we've talked about this a lot before, like, they were doing so much work to do fraud. Yeah. They could have just done the work.
1: <laughs> right. Right. No, because you said she was the one preparing this. Well, I don't know. Was she the one preparing the p ls Like, I know she prepared Excel spreadsheets or something and, like, sent a she bunch of versions She prepared Excel to spreadsheets to and then
0: the prepared these, like, seven fake um and ls based on them.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. And one of those was the one that, like, led to... Yes. Mm-hmm. uh what company was it that was like it was in CoinDesk. desk
0: looking... that yeah it yeah. was CoinDesk that ran they're the one that ran the article basically about um what was going on and the profit and loss statement that they received that led to basically the run on ftx that precipitated their downfall um that was you know caused the whole ponzi scheme to fail um they also i haven't read it in full but i've read summaries of it there was like an employee group chat, you know, because for a member for a time, Binance was supposed to buy FTX and then they mm-hmm. pulled out of it. And so there was an employee group chat basically where they were chatting about, well, what happens if Binance finds out that our fi- our finances are all fake? And <laughs> everyone was like, Uh, I don't know. <laughs> and then while they were in the middle of the employee group chat, that's when Binance announced that they were pulling out of it. And apparently it was like, awkward silence for 30 seconds in <laughs> the group chat. <laughs> and, then, and then there was the run on FTX and it collapsed. But the it's just insane. I saw last night SBF's lawyers again filed a motion for the judge to allow him to take Adderall because he can't properly prep for his trial without mm-hmm. his Adderall. Because this was, I mean, the amount of Adderall he was taking was astronomical, um, apparently, to self-medicate. And so... He's filed a motion for that. The judge denied it. Um, oh, interesting. And,
1: okay. Yeah,
0: the judge denied it. And, you know, on the one hand, it's funny. On the other hand, I think there's a much larger conversation about, you know, denying prisoners rights, basically, that they need to competently prepare for their trial. But at the same time as SBF, Ooh, so fuck that
1: You're going to make people <laughs> mad. Well, yeah, because people generally are like, ah, <laughs> fuck people who commit crimes, let them rot in prison. It's like, well, Mm -hmm. you know, as the most carceral nation on the planet, we should probably do better than that. And people need medications, including ADHD medications so they can function and adequately participate in their defense. And yeah, Mm -hmm. this guy's a fucking bozo and he sucks and what he did sucks, but he also should be able to participate adequately in his defense. And like, I don't think letting him have his Ritalin or anything is going to, what do we think he's going to do with that? You know, I mean, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Probably they don't want to do it because then they'd actually have to do it for other prisoners that aren't former billionaires with expensive lawyers. Right. So.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Anyway. So it's, the trial has been extremely amusing to watch from the outside. Um, I did see, I think my favorite tweet so far about, The entire trial is someone posted the um, sketch artist drawings of SBF and Caroline and said it looks like the sketch artist lost all of his money in FTX.
1: (laughs) That's the melted microwave one that I was referring to. (laughs) It's just like, I mean, I know these aren't normal looking people, you know, I mean, we're not talking about some Hollywood hotties, but by the same token, he made them look historically bad
0: <laughs> historically bad there was one um i think it was gary wang was uh, the cfo or one of the other c-suites and and the people um he was being interviewed or sorry he was being examined and somebody asked him if he knew what a pnl statement was um as the cfo and his response was well i do now and it's just indicative of what a shit show that place was, which we knew obviously just from bozos. all the evidence that's come out. But the idea that your CFO didn't even know what a PNL was is hilarious and sad at the same time.
1: Yeah, that's that's not good. That's no. uh, that's not what you want.
0: It's a it's a low bar for your CFO to clear to know. What yeah, that like is.
1: the bar is in hell. Can your CFO yes. please know what a PNL is? <laughs>
0: So anyway, we will keep you updated on that. Um, it's supposed to, the trial is supposed to go until December, so we will have months oh, of content okay. um, for that. So yes, it will be very exciting. Um, and that's all I've got for you today.
1: Well, our main story today is not the one that I thought I was going to work on about a lawyer with sticky fingers. I got distracted by something else. And I think this is really a precautionary tale about what happens when you never develop object permanence. Our Larry lawyer has had, at this point, (laughs) because (laughs) you know he's on the podcast, so, had a litigation practice in Staten Island. He, before the events we were going to talk about, was already quite the character. The New York Times has described him as perennially bow-tied. And noted that his office was in a strip mall upstairs from a vape shop. He was featured on the front cover of the New York Post. And I'm going to send you a screenshot of that. And you can just tell us what you see and what it says.
0: Oh, my God. (laughs) The headline (laughs) Sorry. The headline is... City lawyer demands to settle case, quote, Game of Thrones style. And the lawyer is standing there and he has a shield um, in one arm. He's holding it up and he's got a sword, like a broad sword, braced behind it. And he's got like the Game of Thrones, um, like the Stark family tree on the shield. And he's in front of like a building with a castle turret. Behind him. And he is making a very serious face. (laughs) And
1: wearing a bow tie.
0: And wearing a, uh, I forgot the most important part and wearing a bright red bow tie. (laughs) So
1: apparently what happened here is two investment firms got into a legal dispute Larry represented the losing side, and then his client dipped and didn't pay the more than Mm. $500,000 judgment. So the other side sued Larry, alleging that he helped the client hide the money. And he filed a motion demanding trial by combat to (laughs) resolve the dispute. (laughs) And I'll tell you what he told the Post. Trial by combat was a little used but accepted aspect of English common law. Quote, the common law of Britain was in effect in New York in 1776, and the Ninth Amendment of the Constitution recognizes the penumbra of those rights. I have no idea what the fuck that means, but that didn't stop him from asking for trial by combat. The judge denied that motion. Uh, Apparently nobody's doing trial by combat in New York. I'm sorry (laughs) to inform you all. But I have seen emails from Larry and his signature block includes his firm's contact information. And then Mm -hmm. below that is a screenshot of the New York Post front page that you just saw.
0: (laughs) So he's proud of it.
1: Yeah, that's kind of his thing. He's also very politically active, or he was. And to give you a flavor, he made comments in the past about his admiration for Roger Stone and Roger Stone's style of rat fucking, which if you know anything about Roger Mm -hmm. Stone as a political operative before Trump, you know that he was famous for rat fucking and doing all sorts of Mm -hmm. like weird, crazy, gross stuff. Larry got himself into some hot water because he apparently set up fake Facebook accounts that were supposed to look like they were from political rivals taking positions they would never take. So, for example, a Republican assemblyman in a conservative district calling for more housing projects.
0: Mm -hmm. Republicans don't want people to have places to live. We all know that.
1: (laughs) No, fuck the poor, right? We're pro-life, fuck poor people. So I'm going to send you a screenshot of another example, and you'll see he uses this woman's name. He has a picture for her. Her name's Debbie Rose, and the handle that he, I guess, used on Facebook was at Debbie Rose SI, which I think must stand for Staten Island. Mm -hmm. I'm not telling you he did good work here. Like, I'm not telling you (laughs) he was a good rat fucker, but if you want to read his post here, she is a liberal Democratic City Council
0: member. Okay. Okay. It says, come support my partnership with real estate developer so-and-so to redevelop 78 Fort Place into an SRO welfare hotel full of criminals, capital C, and drug addicts, capital D and A. His campaign contributions will help me to give him the necessary administrative variance to turn the St. George property (laughs) into a heroin slash methadone den. Hey, baby. He bought St. George cheap, a few thousand in campaign contributions to me, and nothing for the community.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So that gives you a window into Larry, but we're not talking about his trial by combat case today or his rat fucking. We are going to talk about his side hustle. For years, Larry has represented a client that I will call the metal scrapper. This client had a metal scrapping business to sell metal scraps to overseas company And apparently this is a really booming business in New York City because of all the construction there. Mm -hmm. And the way that it works is customers pay based on the value of the type of scrap metal and the expected weight. I mean, it's pretty simple, right? Like if you're getting Mm. insulated copper wire, you think it's this many dollars per ton. And if you're getting, I don't know, steel or something, you think it's this many dollars per ton. The scrap metal company fills up a shipping container with the metal, you pay, and they put it on a boat to go overseas, and then it gets processed overseas and turned into other stuff. In addition to the metal scrapper, Larry has another client slash buddy who we will call The Kid.
0: The Kid.
1: (laughs) The Kid's family is in what has only been described in the things I have read as the garbage transfer business. Okay. In 2014, Larry introduces the metal scrapper to the kid and is like, hey, can you teach him about the scrap metal business? And the metal scrapper is like, yeah, sure. And they all begin to meet regularly, both at Larry's office in Staten Island and a restaurant a few blocks from the office. And then in 2015, Larry and the metal scrapper and the kid decide to go into business together themselves doing metal scrapping. Larry does the legal work obviously forming the corporate Mm -hmm. entity preparing bylaws but then in 2015 larry tells the metal scrapper who is still his client that the metal scrapper owes him money for legal fees in various cases and he never gives this guy any invoices or billing records but occasionally he's like you owe me money and the metal scrapper makes payment to larry for these supposedly outstanding fees In early 2016, so like a year later, the metal Mm -hmm. scrapper is in the hospital recovering from heart surgery when the kid visits him. The kid. (laughs) And the kid's basically like, you know, Larry really needs you to pay these legal fees you owe him. We need to get this taken care of. I don't really understand why the metal scrapper has a lot of cash on him in the hospital, but he evidently has some amount of cash on him.
0: You're not about that life, KP.
1: (laughs) Maybe he has Venmo. I don't know what he does. But... He gives the kid some of this money, but he doesn't have enough. He's like seven grand short. The kid very graciously agrees that he will loan the metal scrapper the $7,000 to pay Larry. So like we're going to get Larry fixed up. Now you just owe me this money.
0: Interest free, I'm sure.
1: Business is going along. They're selling scrap metal to companies based in China. They're loading up containers. Then one day in December 2016, Larry tells the metal scrapper, like, hey, can you come by my office tonight to sign some paperwork? And then I guess their plan is to go out later and have a good time, whatever. Mm. When the metal scrapper gets to Larry's office, Larry's not there. And he calls Larry to be like, where are you? And Larry tells him, hey, just go sit inside the conference room. The metal scrapper goes, he sits down inside the conference room. And then the kid walks in and he's got another man with him. And that man has a gun and he points it at the metal scrapper's head pause here for a fact the
0: metal scrapper is still larry's client correct
1: uh-huh yeah 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 no it's larry's client so this is one of those record scratch freeze frame how did i get here moments yes. and there's a lot i haven't told you so we need to back up i can't wait <laughs> this is the stupidest fucking story <laughs> Okay, so first, I think somebody might wonder why the metal scrapper would agree to go into business with the kid and Larry, because Larry's a lawyer, Mm -hmm. but the kid has no experience metal scrapping. What does he bring to the table here? Well, remember his family is in the garbage transfer business Mm -hmm. in Staten Island. Mm -hmm. He is allegedly connected to multiple members of the Lucchese crime family.
0: I was just about to say he may have some family members.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And Larry apparently told the metal scrapper that he's represented the kid's dad, who's in the family, and his uncle, who is also a high-ranking member of the family. And the idea apparently was like, well, surely his connections to organized crime can only be helpful for us. Mm -hmm. The man with the gun, who shows up at Larry's office, is allegedly a former New York police officer who is now an enforcer for the kid's family. (laughs) So we'll call him the cop. Okay. Let me tell you how business has been going, really going, for Larry, the kid, and the metal scrapper. Their first iteration completely failed. Just like gigantic, complete failure. And the reason is because they found a customer who wanted to buy scrap metals. That customer paid them $31,500 to ship scrap metals. This is sort of neither here nor there, but it's a recurring theme in some of our stories. This payment gets deposited into Larry's IOLTA account, which I think in New York is called an IOLA account. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) we've talked about these accounts before. They're bank accounts you use to store client funds. They're highly regulated by the bar because you're holding these funds in trust for clients. Mm -hmm. But Larry's like, well, fuck that. And the funds go into his IOLTA account and then get routed to the metal scrappers bank account. I will remind people once again, do not put your crime bucks in your IOLTA account.
0: Like don't have crime books generally. And if you do well, have crime yeah. books. Start there. Yeah. Don't put them in your IOLTA account.
1: And also pay taxes on them because yeah, exactly. it is, is It's taxable income. It is income. income
0: to you. So pay taxes yeah. on it.
1: Yeah. So we don't condone it. <laughs> so they get this payment, but then they just don't send the customer anything at all. And it turns out the metal scrapper and the kid gave the customer fake names and the customer can't get a hold of them. So he shows up at Larry's office because they've put Larry's office address on like all their paperwork for this company. Mm -hmm. So he shows up at Larry's office to be like, "Uh, you guys have thirty one thousand five hundred dollars of my money. Where like where Where, is this
0: stuff? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Where's my stuff? And at first, Larry tries to turn the tables on him, basically being like, we have a legitimate business here. And how dare you come to my office and you're threatening my staff and me? How dare you? But then the customer basically says, you pay me my goddamn money back or I'm going to press criminal charges. Which is funny because I know from personal experience that the cops, at least here in Dallas, would just tell you to go fuck yourself. Like, that's what happened to us. They're like, that's a breach of contract case. Doesn't sound like an issue for us that somebody stole your money. Yes. So Larry emails him to be like, Be chill, will make delivery, which they obviously don't. And he copies fake people on this email that correspond with the fake names that the kid and the metal scrapper have given the customer, like, we're going to try and push this along. As an aside, these emails come in at Larry's sentencing hearing in his criminal case later on down the road. And here's how Larry's lawyer characterizes them, quote, we don't think it shows doing anything wrong except good lawyering. (laughs)
0: He's just a zealous advocate for his client, KP. Yeah,
1: and the courts comment on the whole scheme. The judge goes, well, this is such an interesting situation. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the customer ultimately does report this to the police. It's kind of unclear whether he does or he doesn't. But Larry and friends ultimately refund the customer's money. And it occurs to these geniuses that just like straight up stealing money from people isn't
0: going to work as a going business concern. <laughs> They, t- they tend to want something in return for the money you took.
1: <laughs> so like, well, I mean, they realize the same thing that you and I did. We got to we got to give them something. And they're like, well, these containers have to go all the way to China by boat, which takes a while. So what if we just fill most of the container with a bunch of shit like concrete and old road barricades? <laughs> cover that up with the scrap metal that the client thinks they're buying, and then ship that to China.
0: Thoughts? (laughs) It's a brilliant plan. No one will ever discover what what actually happened.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This won't totally immediately fail. Yes. They start this scheme around October 2015. They really commit. So they lease a warehouse because they got to store the scrap metal. They got to store their filler garbage material. Mm -hmm. They need to be able to load the shipping containers. The landlord is on site and has employees on site. I have a question for you. If you're Larry or the kid or the metal scrapper, are you loading these containers in broad daylight? Or are you maybe going to shoot for like some undercover of darkness? Oh, definitely. of clandestine.
0: Yes, absolutely. We're going to be clandestine as fuck.
1: Whether or not they're uh, doing this in broad daylight. (laughs) And the landlord and his employees can all see these guys loading shipping (laughs) containers full of fucking garbage. They're like, like,
0: what's the traffic cone doing in there?
1: Yeah, like (laughs) carefully, gently tucking in the scrap metal on top of like a barricade.
0: (laughs) So you're the landlord. What are you doing here? I mean, for now, I'm keeping my mouth shut. Um, I may say something later, but for now, I'm definitely keeping my mouth shut and just staying out of it.
1: Okay, this is disputed. The landlord would dispute this and characterize this a different way. But according to the U.S. Attorney's Office, he opts to charge Larry
0: and the kid way above market rent. Oh, so he, oh, so he's he's a business opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) He's an entrepreneur. Yeah. He's just a go-getter. Yeah. But he's also a helper. It's late-stage capitalism. He's getting his.
1: Yeah. He allegedly makes suggestions as to what Larry and the kids should use as filler material. <laughs> He helps them get filler material. Like, I guess there's a bunch of concrete from his parking lot that ends up in these shipping containers.
0: Of course, he has like a parking lot full of loose concrete.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I don't know if they were resurfacing. Like, who knows what they were doing? But in any event, he's like, here, take all this. It's pretty convenient if you think about it. Like, you don't have to deal with your own trash or hauling it away. Your tenant just puts it in a a shipping container and sends it to China. You never have to take it again.
0: Your trash away for you and ship it to China. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Okay, so does this whole scheme seem exceedingly stupid to you? Like they are guaranteed to get caught pretty much immediately. Wildly
0: stupid. Like they're going to be caught the minute that ship docks and they unload the container, basically.
1: Right. I mean, it can't possibly take that long for this scheme to unravel. But they have a plan. Oh, good. This is a multi-point plan. (laughs) One... They're like, look, the kid's connected to the Lucchese crime family, so if there are any quote-unquote disgruntled customers, being mob-adjacent should help with that, right? Second, the names that they have chosen for their companies that they're doing business through are really purposefully similar to legitimate scrapping companies that have many, many overseas customers. Mm Mm-hmm. So one, they're hoping they can lure people in who think they're dealing with these bigger companies and they just don't know. But I think maybe they're also hoping like, well, maybe they'll delay on pursuing claims or they'll drop claims because they think we're actually like a legitimate business. Mm -hmm. Third, I, I, I don't really understand how they thought this part would work, but they're like, we need to make this business legit and we need somebody to sign stuff that's not connected with us. So they basically find a guy off the street to serve as president of their company. You're making okay. a face.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm I'm listening. <laughs> I'm waiting for it to make sense. <laughs> and when I say off the street, I mean it and this part
1: is actually like really super appalling. This guy was apparently a panhandler living off social security he has a legal guardian appointed for him and he has some dispute with this legal guardian. One of these knuckleheads, I'm not sure who gets to talking with this guy and finds out about these issues with his legal guardian is like, Hey, I know an attorney come with me and brings him back to Larry's office. And allegedly back at his office, Larry's like, well, why don't you be our quote unquote president for our corporation Mm -hmm. And I'll handle this legal issue that you've got with your guardian. And of course, Larry never does shit about this guardian issue. And there's dispute at the sentencing. I think it was a sentencing hearing about why that was. And maybe there was nothing to actually be done there. But they very clearly seem to be taking advantage Mm -hmm. of somebody. And they're just using this guy's identity to open bank accounts for the company, to sign checks for withdrawals, and to put his name on the corporate paperwork. Even though, all the while, they are using Larry's office address
0: yes, as their what, corporate that's address. That's why I was like, but but it's not like that's secret. It's- <laughs>
1: like. All anybody has to do is Google your address yes. to see, like, law offices of Larry Lawyer. They also have a backup plan. And the way that they have structured their scheme is this. They have the customer come to the warehouse and pick out what metal they want. Everybody signs a contract. After the gang loads the shipping containers, they have the customer come back and, quote-unquote, inspect giant Mm -hmm. air quotes there. And Larry and his associates take pictures, which they also give to the customer, like here's what the shipping container looked like immediately before it was sealed, but they won't let the customer get too close because they're like, ah, 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 OSHA, safety, like scrap metal. (laughs) And then other times what they would do is they would pre-drill holes into the shipping container and then make sure that there was like scrap metal visible from those holes So they wouldn't open up the container, but they would let the customer, like, look through those holes, see the scrap metal, and be like, okay, this looks fine. (laughs) Like. And they take pictures. And so the plan, evidently, is when these containers get to Hong Kong or wherever and the customer is like, hey, you guys sent me a bunch of shit and defrauded me. Larry and company can turn around and be like, no, you're defrauding us. You inspected this container at the point of origin. We have pictures and everything. You're the one who must have put a bunch of concrete in there. (laughs) They also use fake names when dealing with the customers so I think the idea here is if a customer just doesn't let it go, they won't be able to track these guys down because the customer doesn't have their real names. Like Larry and company are just going to disappear with the money, which again, I keep going back to, but you put your office was, address on the paperwork.
0: this office address. What are your thoughts about this plan? Need some work. <laughs> I think, I think they should go back maybe, re-ideate part of this and come back to me with some better ideas if I'm talking to them about it.
1: Well, it does indeed work for a short time. In a matter of weeks, they make nearly Mm $500,000. But as expected by anybody with two brain cells to rub together, the shipping containers full of concrete start showing up in ports in China. Yeah. (laughs) And this is a gigantic mess because it's not like they even clear customs and make it through the ports. In one instance, the Chinese government x-rays the shipping container before they allowed in and they're like, this is garbage. Like, (laughs) We're just beaching this. We're not not allowing this in. And when you have shipping containers sitting at port, there are storage costs associated Mm -hmm. with that for the customer. Then the Chinese government is like, no, you can't dump this American garbage here, send it back. So the customers have to have to pay to ship this back to the United States to then be disposed of in the United States. And again, it's not like Larry's at the dock waiting to pick up his garbage that's come back from China, right? So the customer has to pay to deal with that as well.
0: I was about to say, and disposal is not free. So they're going to have to pay to deal with that.
1: Right. You're having to pay to deal with that too. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, you're not just out your initial money. This is a very expensive mess. It was a little unclear to me from the testimony at Larry's sentencing hearing, but it also sounds like at some point an inspector for the Chinese government shows up at the warehouse and is like, well, this doesn't seem legit. So we are never clearing anything that comes out of this warehouse. (laughs) (laughs) The jig is up. And apparently these guys close up shop at the warehouse. Like, we better get gone while we can. And you can't get mm-hmm. your money back if you can't find us. Good luck get to you. Goodbye. Good. Yeah,
0: Yeah. exactly.
1: <laughs> A few weeks after they close up, however, agents for the Department of Commerce and Department of Homeland Security show up at the warehouse. And this is February 2016. So we've managed to run this from like October 2015 to February 2016. It's been a good run. And these agents start asking the landlord question about who rents this space.
0: Mm-hmm. You're the landlord. What are we going to do here? Oh, now I sing. Like I'm telling them exactly all the information I have about <laughs> who rents that space for me. Well, number one, hopefully you're getting a lawyer. You're not talking to
1: fucking cops. Mm-hmm. But number two, I guess if you're going to sing, that's, you know, that's another alternative. Instead, he gives them a fake name for the renter instead of giving them the real name, which I think was the metal scrappers. Mm -hmm. He describes this fake person as a middle-aged dude with blonde hair and a crossed eye, which apparently (laughs) does not match the metal scrappers description at all. It is just like a deeply weird embellishment. Yes. And the landlord also tells these agents that he knows that they've loaded containers of metal scrap, but he's never actually seen it happen. Like, He hasn't witnessed anything. There's nothing to tell here. All right, so you're Larry and Company. You can't defraud customers anymore. What do you do?
0: I mean, you disappear at this point, I think. And you also never go back to your office again because your address is on
1: everything. (laughs) Well, you're wrong again.
0: Ah. (laughs) I'm just not creative enough to be a Larry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Gotta think real stupid. Yes. (laughs) So one thing you could do is turn on each other. Oh, yeah. For whatever reason, Larry and the kid seem to decide that the metal scrapper is the weakest link. And this apparently is why Larry starts telling him like, hey, you owe me attorney's fees. A few months after Larry starts making noise about these attorney's fees, he apparently has another idea, which is he tells the metal scrapper that quote unquote Chinese men had shown up at his office looking for their metal scrapping company because Larry's address was, of course, all over the paperwork. Mm -hmm. And Larry says, well, you know, I've had a private investigator research these guys and they're part of Chinese organized crime. But, you know, the cop is an enforcer for the Lucchese crime family. So we had him do a sit down with these guys to try and fix this. But like, we got to pay the cop now. So me and the kid, like, we're going to kick in $20,000 each to the cop. Like, you need to contribute too. So the metal scrapper allegedly gave $23,000 to the kid to give to the cop to deal with these Chinese mobsters that are now on their tail. Do you think there were ever any Chinese mobsters? absolutely not.
0: This is just more extortion.
1: No, apparently not. This is just a way Mm -hmm. to scam the metal scrapper out of some more money, Mm -hmm. which again, just seems like a really overly elaborate way to get $23,000 out of somebody that's got to be split probably three ways or at least two ways, right?
0: Yeah. Like you could, (laughs) we're not talking large amounts of money. I mean, they're significant, but for all this effort, you'd think they'd be raking in a lot bigger amounts of money. Like, maybe you could just go do some billable work. I don't know. Yeah, exactly.
1: Then the night comes where Larry asks the metal scrapper to come to his office to sign paperwork. When Larry tricks the metal scrapper into coming to his office, it's the kid and the cop who walk into the conference room, and the cop has the gun, and he points it at the metal scrapper's head and also his knee. And the cop tells the metal scrapper, well, you owe me $10,000. This is apparently the first the metal scrapper has ever heard of this.
0: Probably, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Turns out the cop claims that after the kid loaned the metal scrapper $7,000, the kid, quote unquote, sold the loan to
0: the cop. (laughs) I'm sure there's real proper documentation of that sale of the loan.
1: Totally fine. Mm -hmm. And the cop's adding like a $3,000 service fee or whatever, you know? (laughs) So now you just owe me 10 grand because I have a gun and you're in a conference room. The cop gives the gun to the kid and tells him to shoot the metal scrapper in the knee and the cop walks out. So now... The metal scrapper is alone in this conference room in Larry's office with the kid who has a gun. So you're the kid. What are we doing here?
0: Man, I don't know if I'm pulling the trigger because right now we're just talking financial crimes versus like (laughs) shooting someone.
1: (laughs) I had a much more practical concern, Mm -hmm. which is you're in a law office and shooting somebody in the leg seems really messy.
0: Yes, also true.
1: (laughs) So the kid allegedly takes the bullets out of the gun one by one in front of the metal scrapper and is like, look, the cop is serious. Get this money. But also don't call the cops. Mm -hmm. Later that month, both the metal scrapper and his son start getting text messages from a number that they don't recognize. And it's stuff like, how far would you like this to go? I guess you think you're going to ignore this. No problem. Remember, you're taking this to a new level. I promise I will see both your sons this week. You must think I'm nothing. You're going to find out real soon how serious I am. I'll give you 10 minutes to get back to me or I'm speaking with your sons this week. I'm in New Jersey. You can meet me here or I'll come to your house. Please don't make me come
0: to your house. (laughs) Such typical, like, mob threats, like from a movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm a real tough guy.
0: (laughs) You you better not be scared of that horse head you're going to find in your bed tomorrow morning.
1: So if you're the metal scrapper, what are we doing?
0: See, I'm torn here. We either find the money and pay them off. But see, if you pay them off, you're always going to have to pay them off because you're never going to be done with it. right? You will Um, never be out of this cycle. You'll never be out of the cycle. Do you buck up and go to the feds and start and start asking for some sort of plea deal for this because it's going to be found out? I don't know. Either that or you walk into the sea never to return.
1: (laughs) You find your own concrete blocks to put on your feet. Exactly. (laughs) One of those three. Well, it's not completely clear exactly what happens because generally what's super annoying about the government I've found in their filings is they're never very clearly like so-and-so snitched on XYZ day. But here's what I can tell you. The metal scrapper is never indicted as part of this conspiracy. Mm Mm-hmm. The incident with the gun happens in early December 2016. I found an affidavit from a special agent with the U.S. Department of Commerce that notes, also in December 2016, a cooperating witness began providing information (laughs) about wire fraud conspiracy that he was involved in. And there are also other indications and other filings that this metal scrapper got wired up like a fucking cyborg and made recordings for like six months. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing. There's another problem. So remember how the Department of Commerce special agents and Department of Homeland Security interviewed the landlord? He just like totally lied his Mm -hmm. face off. That was February 2016 when the scheme was completely collapsing because obviously. Mm -hmm. And our favorite criminal masterminds had stopped paying their rent.
0: Naturally. I mean, there's no honor among thieves, clearly. (laughs)
1: So two months after this interview, around like April 2016, the landlord calls up one of the Department of Commerce special agents. (laughs) It is like, this is totally chill because I'm super uninvolved. But like, how's that criminal investigation going?
0: (laughs) Here's like, here's a tip. Don't lie to the feds. Don't talk to the feds without a lawyer. Don't lie to the feds. If you're going to lie to the feds, don't call them back. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately though this is kind
1: of what saves his ass for about mm-hmm. lying to the feds in the first place. Naturally the agent doesn't tell him anything specific, just like, I don't know, the investigation's ongoing. So you're the landlord, what are you going to do?
0: I mean at this point I you you a victim. <laughs> or no, I well, take that back. You threaten them and you tell them, "I know the I know you're being criminally investigated. I'll go talk to the feds if you don't pay me my money."
1: Okay, let me be clear. We know these people potentially have connections to the Lucchese crime
0: family. Oh, and that's true. You know that, that? the landlord knows that too, right? I, I assume so. Do you want to review okay. this choice? No, we're not going to extort the mafia.
1: <laughs> okay, okay. And I may, I may have not phrased this most clearly enough. Let's say you're still on the phone with the special agent when he's like, <laughs> then I hang up
0: not if I'm smart. <laughs> you're like, you're like, JK, bye, poop. going
1: through the tunnel i don't know our service is breaking up okay instead apparently he's like oh god i'm fucking sick of this i've had enough (laughs) i'm gonna send you a quote from the sentencing memorandum that the united states filed in his subsequent criminal case okay describing the path he chose
0: after being informed the investigation was ongoing the landlord then stated in sum and substance that he had had enough of the situation and wanted to, quote, give up the individuals involved because they owed him a substantial sum of money. The agents then again met with the landlord at his warehouse. There, the landlord described the actual identity of the metal scrapper and further revealed the actual identities of the other participants in the scheme. (laughs) So definitely not a guy with a crossed eye, but here's what they actually look like. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I picked that. It was really
1: weird, and I'm yeah. going to see therapy on that. <laughs> it was just point. one of those
0: days. <laughs>
1: About a year after the gun incident in Larry's office, Larry and the kid and the cop and the landlord are all arrested in December 2017. The government immediately asks for Larry to be held without bail because they're Mm -hmm. like, he orchestrated this this scheme. He Mm -hmm. lured his own client to his office to be like held up at gunpoint. But we also learn a lot more about Larry allegedly because these allegations were never like proven in court or anything. This Mm -hmm. is just what's in the government's filing. Oh, buckle up. There's a lot. According to the government, on several several occasions, Larry told victims of his fraud scheme that the cop and or the Chinese mafia might hurt them on his behalf. And he kind of like drops references to the fact that he keeps a gun in his desk drawer in his office. Of course. (laughs) The government says he's involved in some separate litigation where he sued somebody who runs a design business sent a process server to that person's house who started banging so loudly on the door that it like broke the door frame. This person's wife was home alone with their two teenage sons called nine one one and hid in the attic with her teenagers until the cops get there. And, and I was like, Oh, I read that. I was like, whatever. Like how serious could that really be? But I just sent you a picture where you can see like the door Oh, holy crap. Like, that's a (laughs) violent. And you can see this big piece of wood that's, like, been Mm -hmm. knocked off the Mm -hmm. doorframe and is just sitting there.
0: And that's a big, solid door, too.
1: (laughs) The government also says that Larry has a former employee, a contract attorney, who Larry accused of stealing an autographed picture of a former New York Mets pitcher. Well, the contract attorney thought that Larry gave him this picture as a gift, but then one of Larry's other employees calls up this contract attorney and according to the government said, you know, if you don't give that picture back, Larry and the kid are going to come to your house and beat you up. And when this contract attorney references this threat and emails to Larry, according to the government, Larry accuses him of lying and threatens to have him arrested. (laughs) Okay. Also, according to the government, there is a woman who is a former client of Larry's who had referred her mom to Larry to handle her father's estate. But then Larry ends up in a fee dispute with mom and refuses to release the estate money that he's holding in escrow. Mm -hmm. So according to the government, the night before Larry is supposed to have a hearing on the case he brings against mom for these unpaid fees, he meets with the woman, the daughter, his former client for dinner. This happens in May 2017, before everybody gets arrested, but after, you know, the metal scrapper Mm -hmm. and the landlord have snitched. So this woman apparently is wired. (laughs) And they record Larry. He references having a gun in his office drawer, apparently suggests that his private investigator also carries a gun. And then the next day at this hearing, Larry approaches the former client, and according to the government puts his face an inch from hers and threatens to send the Chinese mafia to kill her brother. The government says they also have a recording of a conversation that Larry had with the kid and the cop where they're talking about some disagreement they've had. And on this recording, Larry's like, next time you come at me, come heavy or not at all. I got a Glock waiting in my office drawer, and I got a shotgun right behind me and you won't know the fucking difference when it hits you.
0: (laughs) Such... Like stereotypical tough guy talk.
1: The government also says that Larry's been sending money to two mobsters who are in jail and they have the Western Union records to prove it. So one of these guys, (laughs) one of these guys is a Lucchese associate who was serving a 20 year sentence for violent robberies in which some victims were beaten and shot. And apparently his father was a Lucchese family soldier and his grandfather was a Lucchese family captain. The other guy that Larry is sending money to was a Gambino associate
0: Oh, serving spreading a, it out among the families.
1: <laughs> I know he's listen, he'll he doesn't discriminate against yes. mobsters. Mm-hmm. This guy was serving a 15 year sentence for his participation in a home invasion robbery where a man was pistol whipped to the point that he had lasting brain damage. These guys are also regularly in contact with the kid, too. Like, we're all absolutely. just friends. Yes. There is so much here. I have, like, five other examples of completely, absolutely unhinged, batshit stuff mm-hmm. that the government alleges that Larry has done. And so they're like, you cannot let this guy out on bail, obviously. Yeah. So what do you
0: think the court does? They probably set some massively high bail, I think is what they do.
1: They actually send him to jail. Oh. But then in March 2018, the court orders him released on a $1.5 million bond. So Larry is out, and he's footloose, and he's fancy free, although technically on home detention.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So how do you think Larry does with his newfound taste
0: of freedom? Oh, he immediately starts threatening the shit out of everybody (laughs) that's going to (laughs) testify against him.
1: So this home detention lasts roughly three months before the government asks <laughs> to revoke his bail. He got out of jail sometime in March 2018. The government says that according to the FBI, in April 2018, Larry's lawyer, so not Larry Lawyer, but Larry's attorney, mm-hmm. contacted the lawyer of a potential witness whom Larry had a separate legal dispute with and suggested that if the lawyer provided certain assurances that the witness wasn't cooperating with the government in this oh, criminal case, then the lawsuit between Larry and the witness would go more smoothly.
0: Seems problematic. <laughs> Seems.
1: <laughs> the government alleges that Larry's attorney implied that if the witness cooperated with law enforcement, then this separate lawsuit could be made mm-hmm. more difficult this is all written like super vaguely at the time the Mm -hmm. government files this revocation motion, but based on some later transcripts, it looks like this is actually Larry's wife (laughs) and she had filed for divorce and she was involved. (laughs) She was involved with his law office. Mm -hmm. So definitely a potential witness in the criminal case And there. Apparently, according to the government is some discussion between Larry's attorney and her attorney about whether she'd cooperate with the government And at the time, the wife's attorney says something to the effect of, like, these are two separate matters, and I'm not comfortable with you conflating issues with the divorce, with whether Mm -hmm. she cooperates with the government. Those are completely separate things. Government characterizes it essentially as an attempt at witness tampering. The day after this conversation, the attorney for Larry's wife gets a fax from Larry's mom's fax number. Don't know why Larry's mom has a fax, but okay. Mm -hmm. It's a letter signed by Larry. And according to the government, he made threats to the potential witness, who we now know is the wife, whom he referred to as, quote unquote, coldly cooperating with the government. So the day after that, she basically goes and gets a temporary order of protection against
0: Larry. Good for her. Yes, of course. (laughs)
1: Now, at Larry's sentencing hearing, his lawyer is basically like, this was a gigantic misunderstanding.
0: (laughs) Doing the best he can with what he's got.
1: Like, we got to work with what he's got. And he says, like, I mean, there's not a ton of detail here, but he basically says, like, we got a call from the wife's divorce lawyer asking if Larry would agree to an uncontested divorce. Quote, will you agree to an uncontested divorce? And basically, Larry says, listen, if she wants to help with the case, she was there, whatever, okay, well, you know, that's not what I want, but that's what we'll do. That gets totally misinterpreted. And that's how he gets hit with this obstruction of justice thing. And then he goes on to say, it was his wife, it was his wife, and it was through a lawyer, it was through our law firm saying, okay, we'll sign on the dotted line for a a divorce agreement without any litigation. But you know, are you going to help us with the case? Or are you going to hurt us with the case? And they said, oh, that's obstruction of justice. The world I live in, that's common sense.
0: <laughs> I mean, nice try, A for effort.
1: <laughs> yeah. The government at this revocation hearing also claims that Larry has been witness tampering by sharing evidence in the case that is under seal. So according to the government, the... Court had issued a protective order to protect certain wiretap interceptions that the government Mm -hmm. had made, but was going to provide to Larry in discovery. And the court issues this protective order and is basically like, you know, don't share this stuff. Don't make any copies. The defendants in the case can only review it in the presence of Mm -hmm. defense counsel. And you cannot like talk to anybody about what's in these wiretaps. So the government claims that in May of 2018, about six or eight weeks after Larry's out of jail, he made three copies of the wiretap recordings, (laughs) placed each of the three copies in separate envelopes labeled in his handwriting with the names of the people to whom they were to be delivered. (laughs)
0: Like not only making the copies, but then telling other people that he made the copies and then distributing them.
1: He then gave those those labeled envelopes, very helpfully labeled, to a friend to have the friend distribute them.
0: Oh, yeah. We don't want to tell anybody who they're from.
1: <laughs> yeah. And apparently at the time Larry gave these copies to his friends, his, or to his friend, his mom was there. And she was like, are you allowed to do this? <laughs> and he allegedly is like, yeah, sure. My lawyer says it's fine. And then another witness said that Larry was like, no, I'm like, I'm a lawyer myself. Like, I know this is fine. Don't worry about it. And of course, Larry's lawyer later is like, no, like we definitely (laughs) didn't tell him it was okay to do this. So unsurprisingly, the day after the court files its motion to revoke Larry's bail, the court revokes it, like Mm -hmm. go back to jail, do not pass go. The court also sends Larry for a competency evaluation. And I don't have a transcript of the bail hearing. But I think the thinking here is like, you are an attorney yourself. Do you literally not understand what's happening here? Like, what are you doing? He is found competent. And eventually he, the landlord, the kid and the cop, they all plead guilty. I don't know if this if this helps or not. At Larry's sentencing hearing, there's a lot of discussion about how he apparently had undiagnosed bipolar disorder, which was diagnosed as a result of this competency evaluation. He started medication for that. At the time this metal scrapping fraud was going on, he claimed to be drinking a handle a day of scotch, which is half a A gallon.
0: That's a lot.
1: (laughs) And then just doing like a shitload of coke on top of that. (laughs) There's also discussion about these fake Facebook accounts that Larry allegedly created Mm -hmm. because he's now involved in a criminal case related to those. And I'm just going to send you... This transcript from the sentencing hearing. Why don't you be Larry and I will be, there's the court and also Larry's attorney. So why don't I be everybody else? I'll be the court and you be Larry. Okay.
0: I do have a state case to fight as well. It's a case of first impression, as my lawyer said, and that's what I'm ready to do.
1: This is the court. What is the essence of that case?
0: Basically, I made fake Facebook accounts and used them to disseminate information during political campaigns.
1: The court. Were you paid by the campaign to do it, or was that voluntary?
0: No. This was voluntary.
1: And here Larry's lawyer pops up because he's got an ongoing criminal case related to this stuff. So Larry's (laughs) lawyer pops up and he goes, Your Honor, I'm sorry, that case is still pending. So I have to be careful of what my client says. And the judge says, you can and should protect your client. Consult with him and tell him what not to say. (laughs) So then Larry has gathered himself and speaks.
0: It's Alleged that I created fake Facebook pages and falsified the business records of Facebook in so doing and falsified the business records of Twitter in so doing by disseminating information about certain candidates in Staten Island. It was local politics. But I do want to start putting my life in order, and I want to be a productive member of society, law-abiding citizen, and I want to repay those that I've hurt as soon as possible. That's all I have to say. <laughs> what a nice little throwaway reassurance to tick all the boxes that you say all the right things.
1: And he does, to be fair, he starts out at the beginning of his testimony at this hearing by basically apologizing to mm-hmm. the victims and everybody he's harmed. But instead of asking you to guess the sentencing, I am just going to let you read what
0: the court says. Oh, yay. Just, despite the passionate defense of his counsel, this was such a ruthless crime and really so stupid, the court is sentencing him to four years of <laughs> the judge is like, no, this was so stupid. I'm giving you four years because you're so dumb. <laughs>
1: This was like a topic of conversation at the sentencing hearing. Like this whole scheme was so fucking stupid.
0: (laughs) That's why it's like, no, you, if you'd been smarter, you would have gotten three years, but you get four for being (laughs) There's
1: a, there's a penalty in the sentencing guidelines for exceptionally stupid crimes. So Larry is sentenced to four years in prison, two or three years of supervised release, plus restitution of a half million dollars. Mm -hmm. Obviously he is disbarred. Yes. This actually happened long enough ago that Larry has since been released from prison. He served his time in that separate case related to the fake Facebook pages. SILive.com, which I take it as a Staten Island news site reported that Larry pled guilty in 2021 to three felony counts of first degree falsifying business records. And the idea is like basically what you read in that quote is Mm -hmm. his, Fake profiles caused Twitter, Facebook, whoever, to have false business records. Yeah. He was sentenced to time served on those convictions. He also pleaded guilty to two misdemeanor election charges. SILive.com also reported that Larry pled guilty to grand larceny stemming from a dispute with a client in an unrelated real estate deal. (laughs) (laughs) He was ordered to pay $50,000 in restitution. Larry's attorney said that Larry believed the person owed him money. So I guess it's the, it's not stealing if I think it's really mine defense. Yes. The kid got three and a half years in prison with two years of supervised release. He is also out of jail at this point. Joint liability for the restitution of more than a half million dollars. The cop got two years of probation with a $5,000 fine. And the landlord was ultimately sentenced to one year probation With almost $4,000 in restitution plus a $10,000 fine for essentially
0: like lying to federal agents. Lying to the feds, yeah. And that's it? That was delightful and so stupid. Like, (laughs) so dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we talked about it earlier in the episode. Sometimes you engage in fraud and you work so hard at the fraud that you could have just done the work. This is not that. This was just stupid.
1: Yeah, (laughs) There wasn't a lot of hard work here. I mean, it's like they say, work smarter, not stupider. Wait, no, that's not it.
0: (laughs) Work work smarter, not harder. (laughs) Close enough.
1: (laughs) Yeah, whatever. Yeah. So uh, do you want to describe what we think we're going to do? Our next very special episode,
0: first of its kind. First of its kind. We've touched on this before. Um, We've done episodes about something like this before, but this will be a special episode of Judges behaving badly. We've had a few stories recently in the news about judges being less than their best selves while being judges. So we will be discussing those. I know for sure too that we'll be discussing. Mm -hmm. And there is there's one more that I've looked at before that wasn't enough for a full story. So I may shoehorn it into this one as well. We'll have to see how long they take. But for sure too. And if you're following, you know. Today is Monday, October 16th, that we are recording it. If you followed the news about judges behaving badly recently, you probably have a decent idea about what we'll be discussing.
1: Let's just say, not not to do completely spoil it, but let's just say these stories are coming out of Texas and Oklahoma next
0: week. So exactly. look we, forward to we that. We are representing.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So yes, those will be our next episode. I can't wait. I know for sure the Texas one. You'll be doing the Oklahoma one. The Texas one is... So wild. So, I, and I'm hoping we get more coming from it because each day there's a little bit more coming out. So, I'm hoping we get even more that comes out about it to really amp up the story.
1: The Oklahoma one is so fucking funny. And I'm sorry, like, if anybody knows the story, and you'll hear it next week if you don't, this is uh, not acceptable conduct from a judge, but it is really funny conduct <laughs> from a judge. So, <laughs>
0: we have that going for right us. House. it's right in our yeah. house <laughs> yeah so that's it don't forget guys that we have merch links in the bio um please every time you listen to us please rate us and leave us a review we appreciate it we read every one and otherwise we will see you guys again next week
1: and you can find us on social media at bad lawyer pod and you can also shoot us an email at badlawyerpod at gmail.com because we love hearing from you guys and you have great tips so send them along